0: I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Titus as we uh, look at this. And I'm going, to, I'm going to look at Titus on a review. I'm not going to try to do like a traditional, what I call a traditional review. I want to look at Titus from three different perspectives this morning. From, from really looking at the, the theme of Titus is good works and looking at the good works of God. The good works that God calls pastors to do and then the good works that God calls believers to do. And so we're going to look at the whole book really from those three perspectives in a in a summary fashion. The human mind has a great capacity for learning knowledge, for remembering that information, for applying that knowledge to practical life and and even developing new ideas Uh, From what is known, the development of many of our modern inventions are proof of that. Electricity, telephones, internal combustion engine, airplanes, computers, so-called smartphones and and et cetera. And the list goes on. All of these things come not as not as a direct um, gift from the Lord, but but they come indirectly because he gave the human mind the ability to learn. Take in that information and then even approve on, a, on an idea or concept that someone else has come up with. Now turning that to, the, to our, our mind on, on the, the idea of us taking in Scripture, I want us to understand that our ability to memorize Scripture is profound. We live in a day of smartphones, but dumb brains. Okay. We're too dependent on the smartphone. I'm guilty of that as well. But the human mind is amazing. What it can memorize. While I was in seminary at Grace Community Church in the children's ministry, they used a program called the uh, Awana that encourages children to memorize scripture. And I worked with the, mainly the, the third through the sixth uh, graders. And and if if those kids worked on memorizing all the verses they were given for those four years, they were able to memorize four hundred verses. And at the end of that, if they could review all those and say all those, they would get what's called a Timothy Award. 400 verses. They, they would know that and be able to recite those to you correctly. Word perfect. Right? Okay? Now, those that did, um, there, there were those who did that. Um, while I was there, a number of them got the Timothy Award. Not all kids do that, but the ones that persevere and do. Um, but there are other programs like the National Bible Bee, which wasn't around when I was in seminary, but, but some of you have heard about that. The Bible Bee encourages children to memorize anywhere between 500 and 1,000 verses. And to finish in the finalists, you have to get it word perfect. And, and the Bible Bee adds in questions about the verses, not just memorizing the verses. So it's a little more than just memorizing the verses. But to do that, that in that national competition, the kids do that to win, uh, uh, you know, over hundred thousand dollars in prize money and scholarships to all sorts of colleges and universities all over this nation. Now, why do I mention that? Well, why the earthly rewards of memorization keep kids motivated, whether it's for the Timothy Award or or a citation award or for the lure of that hundred thousand dollar prize if you if you finish as a, a finalist the top finalist in the senior division why why that keeps kids memorizing for that earthly reward there's no guarantee that all that memorization is going to result in any kind of heavenly reward or heavenly benefit or spiritual benefit what i mean by that it's not that there's not value in the word of god but it's that we have an innate ability as humans to take in scriptural truth, spiritual truth, and then do nothing with it, we just keep it as information as factoids in our heads. Humans have a, a sinful disposition that prevents them from absorbing and being spiritually impacted by the Bible verses they have learned it's like a It's like a spiritual firewall the The verses are on one side of your head and and you just can't penetrate the spiritual heart. I'm just using it as an analogy, not to teach you something about, um, our, our brains. The, the un, unconverted heart is, is, it's like a firewall that, that rejects all the truth that is thrown at it. And history has no shortage of children who, after memorizing hundreds of verses and after receiving the instruction of faithful parents and seeing the witness of a faithful church, then completely reject the Christian faith in their high school or college days. Perhaps in the days ahead, some of them will come to faith and and all that memorization will yet bear fruit in, in their lives. But as of today, all their head knowledge has been spiritually unprofitable. But unconverted children aren't the only ones who take in God's truth and don't benefit from it or don't do anything with it. Because of the sin that remains even in the converted flesh. Um, we who are converted tend to hear God's truth without spending enough time to, to meditate on that truth and, and to apply it to our lives. has a tendency to go in one ear and out the other. And when that happens, there's no profit. There's no profit unless we take it in. And the Holy Spirit helps us apply it to our lives. Now, in wrapping up our study of the Apostle Paul's inspired letter to Titus, let's not treat it like another completed project that we close up and, you know, close the toolbox and then forget about it while moving on to something else. Think about what you've learned and what you've been reminded of in some cases. Think deeply and meditate on these things and keep doing that. Contemplate. What that, that God has given us these truths of Titus in order to enrich our praise of him and to deepen our worship of the one who has saved us, the one who has saved you and the one who has made you an heir. We are to keep pondering these truths and asking the Holy Spirit to use them to convict you of sin and to help you assimilate these truths into the character and practice of your everyday life. These things are to become part of your spiritual DNA, part of the way that you think about the world as you live it. And this morning, we're going to remember Titus by looking at three categories or three perspectives of good works that with the aid of the Holy Spirit are given to renew our minds and transform our lives. God's good works, the good works that God calls pastors to do and the good works that God calls believers to do. And with this in mind, I want to do this for you since Titus isn't all that long. We're just going to read it together this morning. And I'm going to read it uh, from the Legacy Standard uh, Bible this morning. Titus, beginning in Titus 1. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the full knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which the God who cannot lie promised from all eternity, but at the proper time manifested his word in preaching, with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my genuine child, according to our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious, for the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to one, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, Loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So that they may instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be a model of good works with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in word, which is irreproachable so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing, not contradicting, not pilfering, but demonstrating all good faith, so that they will adore in the doctrine of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, demonstrating all gentleness to all men. For we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be intent to lead good works to lead in good works, these things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and conflicts about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And our people must also learn to lead in good works, to, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me, greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And Lord bless his word in our lives. We started the study of Titus in October 2020 and here, um, now 53 messages later, this is the 54th, if my count's right, uh, we are wrapping it up. We've looked at the details, and you can always go back to the messages online and, and hear the details. Today, what we want to do is take a, a little bit of a, a helicopter ride, looking at some of the transcendent truths, the over the large picture, that to help us remember the book of Titus. Um, and again, we want to do this through through three perspectives, or or um, looking at it from three different angles. The, the the works that God has done, the works that the pastor is called to, and the work that believers are called to. So first, the works of God. Let's look at the good works of God that we see from Titus. All right, I'm not. Uh, it'd be easy to get on a rabbit trail and just start chasing the good works of God over the Bible, but we're going to stay focused in Titus. Because you would like to get finished before l- lunch burns or before it's, the sun goes down. Um, but we are reviewing Titus, so we'll, we'll limit ourselves to Titus. And I'm not going to look at these things in a, what I would call a, a logical or, or chronological or historical viewpoint. I'd like to look at them in, in the order of the kind of the, how they appear in this letter of Titus. And so even from, from Titus 1-1, in a passage that some might just pass over as, as as a mere greeting, an introduction to a letter. And it is that. But some might just look at it as a mere formality. Even there, we see something of the, the good works of what God has done. And And what is that good work? God did a good work in giving his apostles to the church. You might not have ever thought about that. But he says there in verse one, Paul, a bond servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ or a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is uh, apostle with a capital A. This is these. He is one of the apostles, one of those appointed by God. The re- reason I talk about the capital A is because the word apostle really just means one who sent like a messenger. Right? But this is this is the office of apostle. Our Lord Jesus appointed Paul, among and others, uh, 11 other men, 12 if you count, Matthias, who was added in. Then these men were uh, a gift given to the Lord. Jesus poured his teaching and life into these men for three years and then commissioned them to be the, the foundational strategic leaders of the church to guide the church through its. It's a formation and through the early years and to be a vessel through which God provide would provide additional revelation. And They would authenticate that revelation in Ephesians two 20. I'll make one exception to going outside of Titus here or at least one. Um, God tells us that that we who are believed, we who have believed in the Lord Jesus are are described as God's household. And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So imagine what kind of house would have been built without a foundation. You lay the cornerstone. It's kind of an older method where you take a cornerstone and, and you set that. And then everything is built off the cornerstone. That's that's the image that we're given in Scripture. Christ is that cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets, uh, meaning probably the New Testament prophets, are that foundation. Without the apostles, there's not a foundation to build on. And obviously that the the whole idea of building without a proper foundation is very foolish and God's not foolish. But I just point point these out to say this is one of the gifts that God has done. He has given us the apostles. And you might say, well, the apostles aren't here today. And that is true. We don't have apostles with capital A here with us today. But they have given us through through the Lord and through through the moving of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has given us their ministry through the pages of Scripture. And, And that's why Paul's letters are included. They were personal letters. But they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to benefit you and I today. So we benefit from the apostles' ministry even today. And again, just to emphasize this, I'll I'll just read briefly from Ephesians 4 where the Lord says there, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ." From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So, again, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is using a little different analogy—no longer a building, but a body, where the body that's growing. But the, the point I'm making is, the Lord gave the apostles as part of that gift, and we enjoy that that good gift today. The reason that we can grow and mature in the faith and not be tossed here or there in the wind is in large measure due to these men's faithfulness. Yes, ultimately God for giving us scripture, but they were the vehicle through which that scripture was communicated, which that revelation was communicated. So God did a good work when he gave us the apostles. Um, God did a good work in revealing his truth to us. You know, Before we were saved, and maybe you've heard people say this, they they think that they can discover truth. They think that either through philosophy or through scientific experimentation or through more degrees at the university, that, that they can discover truth. But the reality is we would never know the truth. We would never know anything about God if he didn't reveal himself to us. We would be that spiritually hardened that we would never come to the right conclusions about God without Him manifesting Himself to us, without Him revealing Himself to us. He has manifested His truth to us in the pages of Scripture, but He's manifested His truth to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the living Word. And subsequently, through the preaching of His Word, that, of the Word that was once delivered for all to the saints. And it's through the foolishness of preaching that God's wisdom is made manifest. It's through the foolishness of preaching. I use that word the way Scripture does, foolishness. Preaching is foolish from the world's perspective. How is that going to change anything? Well, if it were my word, it wouldn't change anything. But it's God's word. And so it has power. It has power that the Holy Spirit uses to to awaken you, to instruct you, and to lead you. Uh, the Psalms say, in, in your light, speaking to God, the psalmist says, in your light we see light. We don't even see light until God opens our eyes to behold it. Right? It's in his truth that we understand truth and come to know truth. God did a good work when he richly poured his grace upon us. You you read this in various places through there. I mean, in chapter one, he talks about God giving us the promise of eternal life. The God who cannot lie. Right? Do you understand why that's written? The God who cannot lie has promised eternal life to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. He's promised. Why is Paul saying this? Why is God saying this? To help you understand that it's his promise he's going to do it. It's not something you earn. But because you have that promise and you can rely on that promise, you can live differently. You're no longer trying to earn God's favor. You're no longer trying to, to make sure that you uh, are on the right side of history. Beloved, you're already on the right side of history if you believe in Jesus Christ. Right? He has made you his already by his promise. And he is the one who cannot lie. You know, political leaders come and go. And most political leaders lie to get there. But not our righteous Lord. He is not a liar. When he makes a promise, then he will fulfill it. And in fact, he planned the path to fulfilling that even before he created the world. That's, that's who he is. He is the, the truth-telling God. And he has given us the promise of Jesus' return. I don't know if you caught that in reading through uh, chapter 1. That it, it is that blessed hope. Jesus is the blessed hope. The blessed hope isn't that the war in Ukraine would end and that the United States would finally get a, you know, some, some leaders who, who honored God and made good decisions and gave us the American dream and life went on just peacefully for us. That, that's not the blessed hope. As good as that might be in a temporary sense. It is the blessed hope is the appearance and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are ever approaching um, his soon return whenever that might be. But it is sooner than it was yesterday. And it's a lot sooner than it was when the when the scriptures were written. So we're foolish if we don't live in light of his soon return. But that's it's called a blessed hope. And his return is only a blessed hope for those who have eternal life, who are his children because his return will mean judgment for those who are outside of Christ. His return is not a blessed hope for those who do not believe in him who have rejected him. Oh beloved, understand that that when when the Lord caused, when God caused his grace to appear in the person of Jesus Christ, he, he caused his grace to, to flow upon us, and that God gave himself for us for people for his own possession, who, like God Himself, are zealous for good works. These, 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 these profound truths need to resonate with us. That God gave Himself for us. To, to make us His possession. You know, I think I've mentioned this in a previous message, but God didn't save us, uh, because He needs slaves. He needs people to serve Him. God doesn't need a thing. So Paul labels himself as a slave of Christ and of respect and honor to his Lord. And in the sense that, that Paul's a creature and God's the creator, Paul's a slave. He's just doing the will of God, but he's voluntarily a slave. He's like one of those slaves of the Old Testament who went and was a permanent slave. He he voluntarily, a Jewish man could do this if he, if he loved his master. He could voluntarily become a permanent slave to his master and they'd They'd put a, a a little um I don't know, some kind of little uh piece of of um maybe an earring is what we would call it in his ear to signify that he was permanently. Even in like the year of Jubilee, he would not he would not be released because he loved his master and he wanted to spend his whole life serving his master. That's Paul. Completely voluntary. And it, and he's doing this not because God needs something, because God allows Paul to participate in the work of the ministry. God wants us to be his people. I mean, just think about that. The Lord is not ashamed to call you his people when viewed through Christ. You know, there's a lot of churches today that say, oh, just come as you are. Jesus loves you as you are. That's a lie. Now, there's part of it that's truth. Jesus calls all sinners to himself. You can't fix yourself. You can't clean yourself up. So You better come as you are, or else you'll never come, because you're never going to get it right. But when he comes, he comes when you come to him. He 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 takes you and he makes you, transforms you. He, He takes you out of the miry clay, out of the muck of your sin, and he begins transforming you. He doesn't save you to affirm you in your sin. He he saves you to rescue you from your sin. That's what He does. That's the only way He could have you as His own possession. And because God is a God who is zealous for good works. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. God loves to do good works. And creation's is full of them. That's why He created. I'm, I'm sure one of the main reasons He created. Because He just loves to do good works. And He wants to have people that, that do the things that He likes to do. Right? And, and we've, we've seen that. But understand... When you're doing good works, you in a way you are just showing you're just a a small servant of Christ of the Lord God, you are showing the world and showing other believers what God is doing. Beloved, when he, when the kindness and and a, an affection of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness which we have which we did in righteousness. You you saw the description of us and in verse uh, in chapter 3, when we, when we read through that, we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, uh, hateful, hating one another. It's not the kind of person you would look for to add to your family. If you want to put an advertisement out in the paper, looking to adopt somebody in my family, you wouldn't use, you wouldn't go looking for that type of person. But that's who God went looking for. And He says, you know what? I'm gonna love you. And I'm gonna love you. Yep. You're ugly in your sin. But wait till you see what I do with you when Christ gets a hold of you. And He sees you for who you will be, not for who you are. That's what the Lord does. He regenerates you. He, through His mercy, he pours out His Spirit upon us, renewing your mind and transforming your lives. And He doesn't just give you a little bit. He, the Scripture says He pours out His Spirit richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In a future message, we're going to talk some about uh, later this year, talk about the Trinity. But here's one of those verses where we see the three persons of, of the Godhead in one Scripture. That God is... His uh, the father is pouring out his spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the meshing of truth, all must be God. And yet the one God, not three. And, and the good work it, that God did is he justifies by his grace so that we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, he, he his plan was to add us to his family, okay, to adopt us again, tr- having transformed us. And he has provided us instruction and guidance on how we are to live. He has not left us as abandoned orphans to provide for ourselves. He has not left us to navigate our own way, to figure out our own way to do church. No, he has given us his instructions, his word. That's part of the good works that he has done. And obviously, we could spend many sermons talking about the good works of God, but but it's important that we start here and probably emphasize what God's done, because nothing makes sense without God doing what He did. Everything else is just like legalism if we don't have God, and He hasn't transformed our lives and by His grace sent us to to do um, the the work, the good works that He wants us to do. And so, in in a sense, we cannot contemplate enough the majestic works of god you know there's what there's scripture we find the indicatives which are just statements of truth so that's what an indicative is it's a statement of truth it, god cannot lie as an indicative right? and then there there are the imperatives of scripture where like for example where paul commands uh, timothy to to urge the young men to live sensibly that that's that's a um a, a command to do that so you've got the indicatives of Scripture and the imperatives of Scripture. And sometimes pastors like to pounce on the imperatives and they de-emphasize the indicatives. But the indicatives, what God has done is far more important than the imperatives. If you lose the indicatives, that is the truth about who God is, then the imperatives just become legalism. That's that's all they. They're just empty legalism. Do this, don't do that. And so, and so you, you just view these things as like, oh yeah, I gotta do this or, you know, why oh, I, I hate the church because they just tell me how to live. And if that's your view, you don't understand God. You don't even know God. Now, some churches are legalistic and they need to lose that quickly. But it's like, there are imperatives of scripture. We're not going to deny them. But we must understand that it's the indicatives of scripture, the truths about God that are far more important and the imperatives. You know, we're in a microwave society, so we just want to get to it. Oh, just tell me, what do I need to do? Give me the list. Give me the recipe. Well, God wants you to dwell a little bit before you start following along. What to do? He wants you to to know Him. He wants you to know Him, and it's by knowing Him that your life is then transformed by the imperatives. That when you see the imperative about um, that we'll look at in a moment, when you when you see those, then you'll you'll say, oh. Yes, I want to do that. Hmm? Now, you might need some encouragement to do it, but nobody's going to have to like twist your arm to do it. Hmm? If somebody's twisting your arm to do something scripture tells you to do, you need not to focus so much on the indicative, I mean, on the imperative, but on the indicative, on the truths. Focus on what, who God is and, and what he has done for his children. So, Again, if we skip over the indicatives of scripture, the truths of scripture, like about what God, who God is and what he's done, uh, and, and we just go right to the imperatives, we end up with legalism. We need to know what God has done for us and to be converted by that truth before we can properly embrace the commands of God for how he wants us to live. And, and thus, is it any wonder that in a book that emphasizes good works that Titus talks about so much about the grace of God and what God has done to save us and redeem us? It's not any wonder at all. In short, God must make us his people from the inside out before we can live like his people. The transformation, beloved, is from the inside out, not the outside in. Um, Pastor John MacArthur recently gave uh, a message at the Shepherds Conference. It was the last one. So if you're looking it up, I don't know if they're online yet or not, but it's the last one of the conference on Friday night where he talked about transformation as a key to understanding whether or not you're saved. So people sometimes wrestle with, am I saved? They know the facts, but they wrestle with, am I truly saved? But the question to ask yourself is, have you experienced transformation from the inside out? Yes, you're not perfect. None of us are. We're all still in process. But have you experienced the power of God to help you see The the, the truth of scriptures and to take those scriptures and begin changing you from the inside out where he's changing your desires he's changing your thinking if you've experienced that that's that's evidence of the lord's work in you and hence you are his child right if you haven't experienced that transformation that then that that's you need to do some serious soul searching about yourself because the lord does that transformational work in all of his children well, in the time that we have left, we're going to look at two more things. Somehow, right? The good works of the pastor and the good works of the believer, and the, really, it's the good work of, of pastors. Uh, pastors do good works when they shepherd people. If we look at Titus one, Titus one five through nine, that Paul commands Titus to appoint elders for the church that churches there on the island of, of Crete. God knows His people need shepherds, and and He told Titus to appoint. Shepherds uh, for the churches there and pastors today need to appoint shepherds uh, today for the health of the church. Um, As as Titus appointed elders for the churches on the island of Crete, pastors today carry on that responsibility for the respective local churches uh, with which they've been entrusted. Understand shepherds are appointed by shepherds. In this case, Titus appointing elders In uh, the island on the island of Crete, the various churches that were there, but elders aren't—we call them—elders aren't man-made. So we can't make someone an elder. We can only recognize them as elder. We can appoint them as elder in our church, but only God makes someone an elder. Acts twenty twenty-eight tells us the Holy Spirit makes chosen men to be overseers to the to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. There's an emphasis there in, in from Acts uh, twenty twenty eight, 28, that, that the, the high price that God paid to purchase the church and therefore the church, therefore shepherds need to be faithful in how they protect the church. And how do we know which men God has called to be shepherds? Well, we identify these men through the qualifications listed in Titus one, five through nine. And we, we went through all those in, in quite detail when we uh, when we studied that. Pastors are to select men who meet the qualifications God has given to us. And, and, and pastors need to look for men who are, who have a shepherd's heart, who are already beginning the work of shepherding. Yes, they, they won't have the title of shepherd. Yes, they won't have the authority of a shepherd. But, but it's like you can't restrain them. They're, they're involved in people's lives. They're praying for them. They're, they're giving them counsel. They're helping them. They're encouraging them. They're urging them. And when needed, they're even reproving them all all just because the Lord has laid that burden upon their heart. Those are the men that we want to appoint as elders. Those are the good works that the pastor is called to do to ensure that there are uh, a multiplicity of of elders to help protect and guide and teach the church. Elders do good work when they lead by example. This is implicit in in chapter one of Titus. With all these qualifications that are, that are given there. The reason why those qualifications are so important is because those qualifications help exemplify what a, a mature godly person looks like. And elders must be able to lead in that. And, it, and if they can't, then, then they should not be there. Um, it is important. And then this, the idea of leading by example becomes explicit in, in chapter two of Titus where Paul commands Titus to show yourself to be a model of good works and with purity and doctrine, dignified and, and sound, uh, dignified, sound in word, which is irreproachable, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Now, elders are to, to live with integrity. And living with integrity this way means that those who oppose the gospel will have to invent false accusations. Oh, they will still throw their accusations, but they're going to have to make them up. So, much like they did with our Lord Jesus, when, when his opponents wanted to accuse him, they, they had to make him up because, uh, he lived righteously and without sin. Obviously, we, we are not in process, so we, we still have sin as, as elders, but the, the idea is there is the pursuit of, of, of these qualities being in a man's life to be an elder and for these things to be growing and the man to be increasing in these things. So elders must be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. And holding fast doesn't just mean believing the right things. It means believing and living it out, right? Actually, actually um, having these things um, applied in our lives. Additionally, there's when we talk about the issue of integrity uh, to to be a, beyond reproach, a, a man must walk the walk, not just talk the talk. I mean, the TV evangelists are, I mean, the TV's full of evangelists who can talk the talk. But if you could see it in their private lives, they don't walk the walk. Right? And some of the things they say, the talk isn't good at all. So you shouldn't even listen to it. But the point is that there's 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 a lot of pastors or so-called pastors who Tell you to live one way, but they live another way. It's just like our politicians in D.C., right? That's not God's man. That's not God's pastor. He may have a title of pastor given to him by a church, but he's not a pastor from God's standpoint if he's doing that. So God calls pastors to do the good work of living living out their lives as a model and example to the church, as a benefit to the church. Pastors do good works when they teach, exhort, um, urge, and reprove with all authority and and um even when they, they legitimately uh have to, to put people out of the church um even the negative ministries of reproving those who contradict and silencing those peddling destructive doctrines are good works from God's point of view we our society looks at those as negative you know pastor cannot be so negative well there there are wrong ways to carry out those ministries of silencing the opponents and and rejecting people will we'll acknowledge that, but done the right way, the way that God wants it done as instructed by His Word, those things are good. Those are good works that pastors are called to do. Pastors are called to speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Our society doesn't like that. Pastor, don't, don't tell me what to do. Well, I won't on my own personal authority, but I'm trying, uh, I speak in this pulpit, I speak as from God. So, the authority is not my own. I've repeatedly said, don't just take my word for it. Look at the word of God. And it, but if you see it in the word of God, then you, you understand you're under God's authority to, to do what it says to do or to live the way it tells you to live. Pastors are to teach the things which are proper for sound doctrine. This includes instructing and urging men to, to live lives as men and, and encouraging women to live their lives as women. And even slaves, modern application employees, to to serve their earthly masters in a way that manifests that they are a, a person who has been saved and transformed by God's grace. You know, there's a, maybe this is a, as good a place as any to in, introduce this. There's a, a book, a new book, two books written by Chris Mueller, who has a lot of helpful resources um, out there. And I, I saw Chris at the Shepherd's Conference, and he's written these books. Uh, one of them is called Let the Women Be Women and Let the Men Be Men. Um, and these are books that are the result of his own studies of Titus. And also he wrote these to help train men and women on their respective roles from the word of God. And so we've got a copy of these books um, for each of you. Um, so this morning they're on the, the back table. So any any of you. Um, Eighteen or older women get one of the women woman books. Men get one of the men books, and read them and apply what you learned. It's very very helpful uh, for you. So don't don't forget about that uh, at the end. But but the idea is that's that's what we're wanting to do is is help you. God is if you're a man, God has made you a man. God has certain things that He wants you to do as a man. If He's made you a woman, there's beauty and there's loveliness. And there's great value in the kingdom of God and living as a woman. So Chris Mueller's book helps you understand scripture, will encourage you, and it'll really dovetail well with with um, uh, all that we've learned from Titus. Uh, consider it kind of a um, as a thank you gift from your pastor for enduring all the many messages uh, from Titus, but to encourage you to, to, to do what is right. Um, so this, these are the good works that, that God calls pastors to do. Now, let's look at the time we have left at the good works of the believer. Believers do good works by learning and accepting correction from their elders. It stands to reason that if pastors are to teach, to preach, to reprove, to exhort, that the, then the believers do good works by learning, putting it into practice, accepting correction um, that's, that's, that's offered for their good and, and running with that, cooperating with that. The letter of Titus uh, is written to Titus. It's from Paul to Titus. So he's he's addressing someone in a pastoral role. So the, the commands to us as, as individual believers isn't in Titus, but it's implicit there because Titus is to teach these things. He's to urge these things. He's to reprove. He's to correct. He's to help train in righteousness. So by application, because this letter was meant to be read by the church, The church is to see that as their calling. It's implicit. The Lord is inviting you to learn, to 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 apply these things to your life, and even do the what's really hard: accept correction. No one likes accepting correction, but you do when you when you receive that correction, as if you would receive it from the Lord. It, It brings great joy to your pastor, to pastors, as well to God Himself. Again, you're not obeying uh, the pastor's personal authority. Right? You have to look at it as the derived authority that a pastor has from the word of God. So you do a good work by learning, doing all you can to learn and apply yourself to the word of God. Believers do good works when they support elders' leadership in matters of church discipline. Our church hasn't had to, to walk this path yet, but one day we inevitably will have to do that. There are rebellious men who absolutely must be silenced. And there are factious men who absolutely must be rejected. And when that day comes, I can't do that alone. I'll need the help and support of the church. We will do it. We will walk that path uh, for the glory of God and in the best manner that we can for his glory. The world may not understand it. The world may ridicule it and say that we're harsh and judgmental. But we will walk the path of love and obedience in the scriptures, but I won't be able to do that alone. I'll need your help. And the other the other elders that the Lord will provide for us in the future will need your help as well. Believers do good works when when they exercise discernment. Just think about this. Elders are to instruct and reprove so that the church is sound in the faith, not paying attention to, in this case, Jewish myths or teachings that distract. You could just you can just say there are things in this world, the world's full of Of evil, but it's also full of just like neutral things that will just simply distract you, simply waste your time. Um, Facebook is a really good example. It can be good. It can be a good way to stay in touch with family. It can be a good witness tool, but it also can just be a a black hole of time wasted. So you need to be discerning. I can't be there with you. You've got to learn how to exercise discernment on your use of time, what you do, how you're spending your time. Because there are good works God wants you to do. Remember, we looked at that good works, that when God saves you, that he's prepared good works for you to do, each one of you. And even that passage I read earlier from Ephesians talks about the proper working of each individual part. You know, sometimes people can come to a church and they'll say, well, I don't really see that I make any difference coming But I believe scripture. And so scripture says that for our church to mature and to grow, we have, it requires the proper working of each individual part. You may not understand your part, how your part contributes to the larger whole. Your goal is not to try to understand. Your goal is just to serve and to get engaged, to encourage other people because our church won't be what it needs to be without your involvement. Without you being here, you can't do this live stream. I understand there's time to live stream when you're sick, and and we've been through two years of of some of that. I'm not saying don't live stream, but I'm saying is church can't be live streamed. That requires your interaction. It requires you to be here to meet people to interact. And and now that doesn't happen just on Sunday, but Sundays is we are all together, and you begin to build those relationships that then give you ministry opportunities through the week. And, and so being together is very important. But again, just exercising discernment on how you use your time. Um, discernment is needed so that believers avoid foolish controversies that are unprofitable and worthless. You know, the last thing you want to do at the end of your life is, is have a bunch of regrets and say, well, I just wasted it. I wasted it. You know, whatever Whatever your hobby is, and there's nothing wrong with hobbies in the right place, but you could say, you know, just say it's golf, and you just golfed your life away. At the end of your life, you know, you played every golf course in the United States, and you got the best scores and all that. But at the end of your life, what does it amount to? You, no one's going to remember. And more importantly, you haven't made the world a better place. You haven't even made your church stronger by your participation because you're so busy playing golf. So just, again, I'm not anti-golf, hear me. Um <laughs> I'm one of those pastors that doesn't play golf, but I'm I'm not criticizing those who do. Golf's fine, but I'll, I'm just giving that as an example of how you can get to the end of your life and you just realize, you know, I've just wasted my time. So don't get to the end of your life. Right? Look now, be discerning. And that's a good work that God wants you to do. And believers do good works when they embrace their God-ordained age and gender roles and station of life. So we've talked about this. I don't have to say too much more. But just just realize that 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 God has given older men good works to do that are different from the younger men, right? Slightly different role, and God has given older men a role that is different than older women. The older men are are do good works when they're temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, and love, and in perseverance. Older women do good works when they're reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may instruct the young women in about sensibility. Younger women do good works by learning from the older women what it means to be a sensible young woman, namely to love her husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be this slandered. Young men do good works when they are sensible, following the example of their elders and, and striving to show themselves as examples to other other people and 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 living in such a way so that they are irrepro their lives are irreproachable so that opponents will have nothing bad to say about them understand we are to live lives so that we are subject to those that we work for not contradicting them seeking to please them but demonstrating all good faith so that we'll adore in the doctrine of god our savior in everything Beloved, understand that, that that the good works we're called to do are are the way that you adorn the gospel. The, the, the language there is the language of clothing. You're putting on the clothing, right? You're putting on the clothing of a Christian because you are a child of God. Right? The, the the clothing of a Christian doesn't make you a child of God. You are a child of God, so therefore put on that clothing, and, and that's that's what uh, Titus, um, the letter of Titus, calls adorning the. The doctrine of God, our Savior, so if you're a child of God and you aren't living obedient to some of the things that God tells us to do, you are giving the enemy reason to slander god's name and and you are not adorning the gospel of God, your Savior in every respect, and you need to do that, so you know ask the Lord to help examine your life and see the areas of your life that need to change. Believers do good works when they're subject to rulers and authorities. Believers do good works when they meet pressing needs. That's how uh, Paul ends this letter with the idea that, that God has poured out his grace upon each one of us. He's provided us the ability to do good works, good deeds, meet pressing needs. Whatever those are, at the end of the letter, the, the pressing need is is to help uh, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. But there are other needs that, that God's going to put right in front of you. could be financial needs. That could be just physical needs of, of helping someone else do something within the body of Christ. There are needs that, that just come to you. You See somebody who looks down and out and discouraged, right? There are people within our own body who aren't even here, probably aren't, well, they aren't here this morning, who need your encouragement. So again, that notice not just who's here, but who's not here, right? And please call them. You might not even know them. That's why we have a directory right? use that directory check out who is here not not for any like uh attendance list, but look at it as a ministry list right who who do I need to call who do I need to pray for um, you know that's what we're looking for is to be eager to do good works that God puts right in front of us you know God has poured down his grace upon us who are undeserving of his grace God has saved. People who could not save themselves. God has justified those who are rightly condemned. God has regenerated and renewed those who are degenerates. We all were there. God has made heirs of those who were his treasonous enemies. And God did all this so that his children would be intent to lead in good works and to be careful to engage in good deeds that are good and profitable. If you do these things at the end of your life, you're going to rest. Rest easy. And just say thank you, Lord. I didn't live a perfect life; none of us do. But you helped me to make good use of my life. It was well spent. And and you know, the Lord is the one who judges that. But what you want, to, what you long for, is to hear the Lord tell you when He sees you, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little things. You will be entrusted with many more things." Well, think about where I started. I warned you that there's a danger that each one of us faces. And that danger is that we would just simply hear the, the message of Titus, let it go in one ear and out the other. The danger is that we would not soak in the truths of Titus. And that we would quickly put these things out of mind, especially the ones that are contrary to our culture, about men being men, women being women, and, and what God calls us to do there. God's truth is designed to instruct us, teach us, correct us, reprove us, and train us in righteousness. In short, the scripture is given to renew our minds and transform our lives. And if that renewal and transformation is not an ongoing process in your life, then you need to do some serious self examination about whether you really are a child of God. Understand that, that becoming a child of God is as simple as believing that Jesus, as God, died for your sins. He lived the perfect life. He died for your sins. He rose again and he ascended on high. And if you believe that he paid the price for your sins, today can be the day of your salvation. Don't delay that. Don't procrastinate that. God wants you to believe in his son. Understand that if you are not sure where you are with the Lord today, don't delay that. That's 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 the that's like the epitome of wasting your life. This is for you to hear the gospel and not respond positively to it. The Lord longs to save. And to those of you who are saved, I say, no, I have to say, I urge you to let the, the message of Titus renew your thinking, transform how you live. And if you do this, you'll probably be mocked, ridiculed, Especially women today, right? Belittled. Oh, you don't really have a you don't have a meaningful career if you're not out in the work world. Like you devote yourself to your home. It's those kind of things is what I'm talking about. But the Lord's going to do much with that. The Lord's going to do much. The Lord will reward you. And, and from seeing these things from God's perspective and in doing the things that God instructs us to do, there are rich rewards in this life and eternally in the future when we spend um, the rest of our future with God in our risen, glorified bodies. In, in closing, I want to read not from Titus, but from James, because it flows along the same lines as, as what I've been um warning us about uh, this morning. I'll read from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 25. But become doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and abides by it, Not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man is blessed in what he does. My prayer for you, and I'd ask you to join me in that, is that we would become effectual doers of the word of God for his glory and for the good of his church. Let's pray. Our Lord, what an awesome work you have begun in our lives. And what an awesome work you're doing in our own, in our church, right here at Medina Bible Church, we just thank you for, for helping us to understand your word and growing each one of us, Lord, to be more obedient to your word, to be more sensitive to the, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit regarding any sin in our lives. Lord, just grow us and mature us and help us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord God, I just ask that you would bless the people of Medina Bible Church to, to run the race you have set before them with endurance, that you would help them to see every opportunity for good works and that you would help them, Lord, to, to initiate that, to spring forward into action, not waiting for others to do what needs to be done, but Lord, looking to, uh, eagerly jump in and, and do what needs to be done, take, to tackle that good work, whatever that good work is. Lord, you have prepared these things from the foundation of the world that we would walk in. And please help us to be faithful uh, to do these things for your glory and honor. It's the name of Jesus and his love, uh, because of his love and his sacrifice of the great shepherd of the sheep, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.com dot o r g this message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.